0: Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 14. Today we'll be reading Part 3, which is Certain counsels on the Practice of the Virtues, And we're reading chapters one and two, which are pages 179 to 189 in the Ascension edition of the book. So before we get into today's reading, here's a quick look at what we're covering. Uh, We just started the third part, and the third part is the longest of the five parts. So here, after having talked about prayer and sacraments, we're turning to the life of virtue, and specifically those virtues that we want to cultivate in order to grow in our devout life, in order to grow in our life of prayer. So these particular chapters kind of, they set for us the lay of the land. They give us a sense of what we're about to do. And then when it comes to cultivating the life of virtue, they're going to help us to choose those virtues, which we practice. And what we'll see is that it's not a typical arrangement. So it's not like we're going to go, all right, first faith, second hope, third charity, but rather we're going to treat those virtues that St. Francis de Sales thinks that we will benefit from, uh, and that will come up most often, but which we might otherwise overlook. So he's going to also insist that these virtues need to correspond to our state in life. So we're all not looking to be the Pope, or all looking to be Saint Francis of Sales himself. We're looking to live our lives, our lives beautifully and well. So let's say a prayer and start in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to Thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of Thy name. Amen. Now we'll turn to our reading. Chapter 1. How to Choose the Virtues to be Practiced in Particular As the queen bee never goes abroad from her nest without being surrounded by all her little subjects, so too charity never enters the heart without bringing in her wake all the other virtues, arraying and maneuvering them like a general directing his soldiers. However, she does not employ them all at once, nor all in the same way, nor at all times, nor in every place. The righteous man is, quote, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, end quote, Psalm 1-3. For charity, watering the soul produces in it good works, each in its particular season. As the proverb runs, quote, like music in mourning is a tale told at the wrong time, end quote, Sirach 22-6. Many, taking up the practice of some particular virtue, fall into fault by allowing themselves to be determined to exercise it on all occasions. Like the ancient philosophers, they are always weeping or laughing. No, such people are worse still, for they blame and reprimand everyone who does not always exercise the same virtues as themselves. However, we must instead, quote, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, end quote, Romans twelve fifteen, as the apostle says. For as he also stated, quote, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, end quote, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Nonetheless, there are some virtues of general use, which should be practiced not only by themselves, but also should communicate their qualities to the practice of all other virtues. Occasions are seldom present for the exercise of courage, magnanimity, and munificence. However, meekness, Temperance, modesty, and humility are virtues that should color all the deeds that we perform throughout our life. There are virtues that are more excellent than these, but the use of them is more necessary. Sugar is more excellent than salt, but we make use of salt more frequently and generally. Therefore, we must have a good store of these general virtues ready at hand, for we have occasion to use them almost continually. In the exercise of the virtues, we should always prefer what is most suited to our duties of state, not what is most pleasing to our own inclinations. St. Paula was inclined to great bodily mortification so that she might more readily enjoy spiritual sweetness, but she was under obligation to obey her superiors. Therefore, St. Jerome chided her for her excessive abstinence against her bishop's advice. By contrast, the apostles, being commissioned to preach the gospel and distribute the bread of heaven to the souls of men, Judged that it would be wrong for them to interrupt this holy labor out of love for the poor, even though that is an excellent virtue. See Acts 6.2. A bishop has his particular virtues, as does a prince, a soldier, a married woman, and a widow. Although all should possess all the virtues, nonetheless, all are not bound to exercise them equally. Rather, each should practice, as particularly suited to his or her circumstances, those virtues which are most required for the state of life to which he or she is called. Among the virtues that are not connected with our particular duties, we ought to prefer the most excellent ones, not the showiest. Comets usually appear greater than stars and take up more space in the skies, whereas in reality they cannot, either in size or quality, be compared with the other stars. They only seem larger because they are nearer and coarser in their makeup than are the stars. Similarly, certain virtues are near at hand and easily seen and, so to speak, material, and therefore are highly esteemed and always preferred by the common lot of men. Thus, they generally prefer bodily almsgiving to spiritual virtues, likewise giving preference to the hair-shirt, fasting, going barefoot, the use of the whip of discipline and other such bodily mortifications, over meekness, gentleness, modesty, and other mortifications of the heart, which are nevertheless much more excellent. Choose then, Philothea, the best virtues, not the most highly esteemed one the most excellent, not the most visible. Those which are really the best, not those which are the showiest. It is useful for everyone to select some particular virtue for special cultivation, not so as to abandon the others, but rather to keep his spirit more rightly ordered and occupied. A beautiful virgin, clad in royal attire and adorned more brightly than the sun and crowned with a crown of olives, appeared to St. John, the Bishop of Alexandria, and said to him, Quote, I am the eldest daughter of the king, If you can have me for your friend, I will bring you into his presence." He understood immediately that she was mercy for the poor, which God recommended to him. Therefore, from that day onward, he gave himself up so absolutely to the practice of this virtue that he came to be called St. John the Almoner by all. Eulogius the Alexandrian, desiring to do some particular service for God, but not having enough strength to embrace a solitary life, nor to subject himself in obedience to another, took into his house a poor wretch who was riddled with disease and disfigured with leprosy, so that he might exercise the virtues of charity and mortification by caring for him. Indeed, in order that he might perform such deeds more worthily, he made a vow to honor this poor man as a servant does his master, treating him and waiting on him as his dignified superior. And when, after some time, both the leper and Eulogius were tempted to part ways, they prayed to the great Saint Anthony who said, Take care, my children, not to depart from one another, for you are both nearing the end of life. If the angel does not find you together, you run a great risk of losing your crowns. End quote. The King St. Louis visited hospitals and served the sick with his own hands as diligently as though he were a man earning wages in such service. St. Francis loved poverty above all virtues and called her his lady. St. Dominic loved preaching from which his order has taken its name. St. Gregory the Great, following the example of the great Abraham, took pleasure in entertaining pilgrims and, like the patriarch, received the King of Glory in the form of a pilgrim. Tobit practiced charity by burying the dead. St. Elizabeth, though a great princess, loved above all else to humble herself. St. Catherine of Genoa, as a widow, dedicated herself to service in a hospital. John Cashin tells of a devout lady who desired to dedicate her time to the exercise of the virtue of patience. After praying to St. Athanasius, the great saint sent her a poor widow, who was exceedingly irritable, grouchy, passionate, disagreeable, and unbearable, who continually scolded and bothered this devout lady, giving her ample occasion to exercise the virtues of gentleness and patience. Thus, among the servants of God, some work to serve the sick, others to relieve the poor, others to advance the knowledge of Christian truth among children, others to recover lost and wandering souls others to adorn churches and decorate altars, and others to restore peace and concord among parties in conflict with each other. They are like embroiderers who arrange all sorts of beautiful silks, gold and silver in the shape of a host of different kinds of flowers. For their part, these pious souls who choose some particular exercise of devotion make it the background for their spiritual embroidery on which they then practice all the other different kinds of virtues. In this way, All their various actions and affections are better united and ordered, ultimately woven into the principal virtue exercised by these devout souls. In this way, their spirits are clad, quote, in a vesture of gold, wrought throughout with various colors, end quote. See Psalm 45, verses 13 through 14. When assaulted by any vice, we must as earnestly as possible embrace the practice of the opposed virtue— and in our exercise of the other virtues also refer our activity to it as well. In this way, we shall overcome our enemy, and at the same time advance in all the virtues. Thus, if assaulted by pride or anger, I must turn my activity to humility and meekness in all my deeds, making all my prayers and reception of the sacraments, my practice of prudence, constancy, and sobriety subservient to this end. Just as the wild boar sharpens his tusks by wetting and polishing them against his other teeth, which themselves are thereby pointed and sharpened as well, so too, when a virtuous man knows that he must perfect himself in a given virtue, which is particularly needed for him to defend himself against vice, he files and polishes it through the exercise of the other virtues, which, while helping to refine that needed virtue, themselves also become more excellent and better polished. Thus Job exercising patience in the face of the many temptations that assaulted him became perfect in all sorts of other virtues. As St Gregory of Nazianzus remarked, citing the example of Rahab who perfectly practiced the virtue of hospitality and thereby reached an eminent degree of glory, see Joshua 6, Hebrews 11:31, James 2:25. Some men have through simple but perfect activity in some particular virtue attained the height of all virtue. Of course, however, this requires that such a virtue is practiced with great fervor and charity. Chapter 2. Continued Discussion of the Choice of Virtues As St. Augustine keenly observes, young beginners in the practice of devotion commit certain faults, which, according to the strict rule of the laws of perfection, are blameworthy. Though, for such men and women, they are commendable, for they promise future excellence and piety, to which such beginners are disposed through such overly zealous acts. The base and servile fear that begets so many excessive scruples in the souls of new converts who have only recently turned from sin is commendable in beginners, and it hints at the future promise of a pure conscience. However, the same fear would be blameworthy in those who have advanced far on the path of devotion, men and women whose hearts should be wholly animated by love, which gradually drives out this kind of servile fear. Early on, St. Bernard of Clairvaux was full of rigor and harshness toward those who put themselves under his direction. He demanded that if they were to come to him, they must leave the body behind and come to him only with their spirit. When he heard their confessions, he was extraordinarily severe with all sorts of faults, no matter how small they might be, and so vehemently did he exhort these poor novices to perfection that instead of helping them press on forward, he drove them back for they lost heart and felt that they could not catch their breath as they were pressed so earnestly up such a steep and lofty mountainside. Note well, Philothea, that it was an ardent zeal for perfect purity that led this great saint to act thus, and this zeal was a great virtue that nonetheless also did not fail to be reprehensible. Therefore, God himself corrected St. Bernard in a holy vision, simultaneously filling his soul with a meek, gentle, amiable, and tender spirit so that— now so changed in heart the saint repented of his former rigor and severity and became gracious and understanding thus becoming all things to all men so that he might gain all see first corinthians 9 as we mentioned earlier saint jerome told of how his dear spiritual daughter saint paula was not only excessive but even obstinate in the exercise of bodily mortification so much so that she would not yield to the contrary advice given to her by her bishop, St. Epiphanius. Moreover, he told of how she allowed herself to be carried away with such excessive grief for the death of her friends that she frequently was in danger of death. Then, after recounting all these things about her, Jerome concluded at length, quote, Some will say that instead of writing the praises of this holy woman, I am here critiquing and censuring her. However, Calling as a witness Jesus Christ whom she served and whom I too desire to serve, I here am avoiding lying either by excessive praise or blame, instead setting down the truth of who she was as one Christian speaking of another believer. That is, I here write a history of her life, not a panegyric. Her vices are the virtues of others, end quote. by which he meant that St. Paul's failings and defects would have been virtues for a less perfect soul and that there are deeds judged to be imperfections for the perfect, although they would be judged great perfections in those who are imperfect. Now, when at the end of an illness the sick person's legs begin to swell, we judge this to be a good sign, for it shows that nature, becoming strong anew, is now purging itself of these excessive bodily fluids, whereas this would be a troubling symptom in someone who is not sick, for it would indicate that nature was not strong enough to rid itself of these same substances. We must, therefore, my dear Philothea, have a good opinion of those who practice virtues even with imperfections, for the saints themselves often also practice them in this way. However, when we look to ourselves, we must take care to exercise them discreetly as well as faithfully, and to this end, we must strictly observe the advice of the wise man Do not rely on your own insight, Proverbs 3 5 but rather on the judgment of those whom God has given us as aids in the conduct of our lives. There are certain things which many judge to be virtues, though in reality they are not. I must say a few words about such matters, namely, ecstasies or raptures, loss of one's senses, falling into full trances, deifying unions, elevations, transformations, and other such perfections, all of which are discussed in certain books, which promise to elevate the soul to a contemplation that is purely intellectual, to an activity that is in its essence spiritual and a supernatural life. However, heed well, Philothea. These perfections are not virtues, but rather recompenses given by God for virtues, or even more so, they are instead foretastes of the happiness of the life to come, which God sometimes bestows on men in order to arouse the desire for their fullness, which is to be found only in paradise. However, for all that, We must not aspire to receive such favors, for they are by no means necessary for serving and loving God well, which should be our only true desire. Nor can they be obtained by our own labor and striving, for they are things that we passively experience rather than deeds that we perform. Yes, we may indeed receive them, but we cannot produce them in ourselves. Moreover, our only goal is to make ourselves good, devout, and pious men and women. Therefore, we must busy ourselves diligently in this affair." But, should it please God to elevate us to these angelic perfections, we shall then also be good angels. However, in the meanwhile, let us strive simply, humbly, and devoutly to acquire those simple virtues and self-conquests that our Savior has put within the reach of our care and labor. Patience, meekness, mortification of the heart, humility, obedience, poverty, chastity, tenderness toward our neighbors, patience with their imperfections, diligence, holy fervor, and so forth. Let us willingly leave these supereminent favors to elevated souls. We do not deserve so high a rank in the service of God. We will be all too happy to serve him in his kitchen or pantry, to be his porters or his pages. It is up to him, if he should think it proper, to admit us into his cabinet or private council. Yes, Philothea, this king of glory does not repay his servants according to the dignity of the offices that they hold, but rather according to the love and humility with which they exercise them. Saul, looking for his father's asses, found the kingdom of Israel. First Samuel nine and ten. Rebecca, watering Abraham's camels, became the spouse of his son. Genesis twenty four forty four. Ruth, gleaning wheat after Boaz's reapers and lying down at his feet, was drawn up to his side and made his wife. Ruth two through four. Lofty and elevated pretensions to extraordinary favors are quite subject to illusions, deceits, and falsehoods. Indeed, sometimes those who think that they are angels are not even good men. In truth, there is more sublimity in their words and expressions than in how they think and act. But we must also neither despise nor censure anything rashly. Rather, blessing God for the supereminence of others, let us remain content with our lower but safer way, one that is less eminent but better suited to our own insufficiency and smallness. And if we conduct ourselves along such ways with humility and fidelity— God will infallibly raise us to a greatness that will be great indeed. Okay. In this section, we've seen a few main themes emerge, or we've seen St. Francis, uh, kind of show where he's going to lead us through the rest of this part, and I think it's helpful, uh, to maybe think about it in terms of growing in our spiritual personality. So you might be this particular way or that particular way, but St. Francis is giving us tips on how to grow in the virtues, which will help us to become yet more perfectly the persons, the people whom we are meant to be. Um, And he's going to work on certain virtues that corresponds to our identity as Christians, as human beings, uh, and also our vocation. So the particular mission that we are called to carry out in this world. So, Father Jacob Bertrand, as we turn then to these first two chapters of part three, uh, and as we begin considering these virtues which help us to grow in our devout lives, are there particular thoughts, particular insights that you think we should kind of start with in this section
1: yeah as you know as we think about the life of virtue or what the virtues are um, we we can talk about them under different aspects, right? Like there we can talk about, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, or the cardinal virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. And the virtues are are those things that help us act rightly, right, they're, they're the tools by which we're able to live the Christian life. And there's, there's I think, I don't know, um, what, like a great beauty in that because the virtues are at once stable, but also flexible, we could say, right? So, like the virtue of hope directs us to, you know, to um, the promises of God. It helps us orient our life to what God promises for us. But it's also flexible in that that looks different for every person. You could take like the virtue of fortitude, for example, that might look very different for a mother. Um, To be courageous as it does for a soldier, but yet the virtue of fortitude directs us to be courageous in the face of danger or, more appropriately, death. And as St. Francis de Sales is talking about these virtues that correspond to individuals and to our own personal identity, we can begin to think of them in those terms like with our spiritual life. So for, for me, by way of example, I'm very type A and kind of choleric and kind of moody and, and not very patient or humble. So the virtues of patience and humility are those that, you know, the Lord might be offering more in my life where somebody, I don't know, Father Gregory, you're a little different personality than me, less kind of aggressive and and mean and those sort of things. So there are different virtues that might work and be, um, that the Lord might be offering you. And so too for everybody else that, um, yeah, the virtues lead us to God. They help us to orient and live our lives um, and, and orient us and live our lives towards Christ and towards a life of devotion, but are also appropriate to who we are and to our, our state in life. And maybe that's worth talking about too, like our, our state in life, what we're doing and, and how we're chasing after the Lord.
0: Yeah, I think some people, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously think that you've got these great saints in the tradition. A lot of them are religious. You know, some of them are priests. There's not too terribly many married persons or young persons or yada yada. Um, and so maybe it's just the case that You know, there's a perfection that's out there, but really it's only for religious and priests. And then for the rest of us, we kind of content ourselves with what? Second place. We do our best, but we can't really get that good at life or we can't, I don't know, achieve a level of sanctity which rivals that of St. Therese of Lisieux or St. Francis of Assisi or whomever. And I think what I find so encouraging about these opening chapters of this third part is that... Uh, St. Francis de Sales highlights the fact that a vocation isn't something in the abstract. It's not something where God says, okay, this is the ideal of holiness, so good luck. (laughs) He says rather, okay, I'm calling you to a relationship with me. And like all relationships, it's going to take on that concrete and particular character. It's not like when I try to befriend somebody, I'm like, ah, yes, all good relationships look this way. They all involve spending 45 minutes together a day. They all involve eating vanilla ice cream while holding hands and skipping through a park. They all, you know, because once you start listing things for which they are all the case, you know, you get a little weird. I think, you know, it's helpful to set certain guidelines, but at the end of the day, each relationship is going to take on the form of the persons, you know, who contribute to it, who are part of it. And the Lord is saying the same thing to us in the context of our vocations. He's saying, all right, love me in the way that I've made you to love me. You know, don't, don't desire after the graces that I've given to other people because they're not yours. You know, comparison is going to make it just harder for you to live your Christian life. It's going to actually uh, hamstring you, you know, trip you up. So rather look at me, you know, keep your eyes fixed on me. And so in this section, you know, uh, St. Francis de Sales is helping us to to fix our eyes on the Lord and kind of, you know, try to discern more perfectly or more excellently the graces that he's giving to us. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's something that you you talk a lot about in other settings.
1: So. Yeah, I like that what you're saying about how the Lord calls us to fix our eyes on Him, because so much of the battle of of living the Christian life is doing just that. You know, there, I think like the devil wins by distraction. You know, where more often than not that we get distracted from. Well, our prayer, distracted from following Christ, distracted from pursuing the good. I don't mean like little temptations that come into your mind, but things that turn our, our gaze, our focus, our crosshairs off of the Lord. Um, there it's it's just super easy. I know we've all experienced it. I know if I've experienced it, that, that we just kind of get off off that path towards Christ. But really it's it's when we're looking at Christ that we come to know who we are too. There's this beautiful line in one of the documents from the second Vatican council that, that it's God who fully reveals man to himself or that it's in knowing God in relationship as Father Gregory was talking about in relationship with God that we actually come to know who we are. Um, and the particularities of how God has made us to know and to love him. And it's only in coming to know ourselves in in this way, in in the light of Christ and through the grace that he offers us, that we're able to then... Sort of take stock of our lives and say, okay, this is who I am as a person. This is how, uh, you know, what my personality is like, what my disposition is like, what my strengths and weaknesses are, that we can begin to to ask our Lord for the virtues and the graces to be strengthened where we're weak and to perfect what is already good in us. Um, but it, it, I think the most important thing here is to recognize, as Father Gregory was saying, as St. Francis de Sales is writing, is that, that that's a particular reality. To each of us it's not the the being being a saint being holy isn't fitting into a mold that is just that this is what holiness is but it's being fit into into christ and into to become the person that I, this might sound kind of corny but like to be the best person that you can be to be the person that the lord has made you to be now that, that yeah that phrase might be like i don't know a little corny a little cliche but there's a truth to that at least i don't know maybe as i see it maybe i'm wrong.
0: No, certainly. So uh, for, for this particular episode, that's our one kind of takeaway point is that the Lord's plans for you are good, right? His plans for your life of faith, his plans for your life of prayer are good. And while it can be discouraging or maybe even depressing when we compare ourselves to other people who describe wild spiritual experiences, we have to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord because what he is giving to us is ultimately for his glory and for our salvation and while it might seem at times to be modest or simple or not very glorious yet that's the only vocation that he is giving and when we do accept it right when we do come into possession of it then it will be shown to have been excellent from the start right excellent all the way through so that that's it for today and certainly that's our prayer for you uh, so be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com/catholicclassics. It's going to be a struggle for me every time to say the words "Catholic Classics." Uh, and then, if you would like to hear uh, some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and with three of our other brother priests on the podcast "Godsplaining." That's G O D S P L A I N I N G. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scripture meditations, and special series. You can find God with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplitting.org. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.